0: In Matthew 11,
1: hey, welcome to the Tableflippers
0: Podcast, Ministry of Greater Worship Christians Church in Lancaster, California. I am your host, Apostle Robert Dinas. This is where we talk about the issue the church faces and how the church should respond to those issues. Here we will talk about doctrine, theology, politics, social and cultural issues, and how the church is to deal with these things. So get ready for a large dose of truth and get ready for the tables to be flipped. Here at Table Flippers, table flipping is what we do. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Table Flippers podcast. I uh, really appreciate you guys tuning in. You really uh, make my day when I look and see who's tuning in and where you're from and such. It really makes me happy that we're reaching literally all over the globe. And uh, this is really going over all over the globe. And I'm very excited about that, very happy about that. Because that tells me that, for the most part, many of you are hungry for truth and hungry to just see some of the issues and the problems in the church world today Uh, get resolved and get back to the Word of God and what God really says and what God really has for us. Today, I'm going to deal with a subject that I include when I teach on deliverance and healing and spiritual warfare. But I'm gonna talk to you about it today just to maybe help open your eyes and cause you to see some things. (laughs) Open your eyes, we're gonna talk about a blind man. But uh, because there's a principle that I wanna teach you and show you from the scripture. And this primarily is about the blind man that Jesus heals and the town Bethsaida. So I'm gonna read Mark 8, verse 22 through 26. says, when he came to Bethsaida, they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the city or out of the town. And we had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him. He asked if he saw anything. He looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. He sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Don't go into the town. Don't tell anyone in the town. Now again, this was happened at or near the town of Bethsaida. And this is an interesting passage when you really stop and look at what's going on and why it's happening. This blind man was brought to him and he was in the town of Bethsaida. And then Jesus immediately, before he does anything, takes the man by the hand and takes him outside of the town. And then he spits in his eyes. Again, very, very interesting. Because spitting in the face was a gesture of contempt, a deliberate insult. Spitting on a person conveyed deep enmity. And Jesus spit in this man's eyes. He was rebuking him, so to speak, and showing him how angry he was with his blindness. Now, a lot of Christians will have a problem with this. Oh, no, our sweet little Jesus wouldn't do that. Our sweet little Jesus wouldn't do that. He was only spitting because he was just trying to show everybody just how anointed and wonderful, how powerful he is, that even his spit can bring healing and deliverance to people. I just want to bottle his spit and sell it so everybody could be blessed. We sometimes get so silly and foolish on these things. Instead of just taking the time to really study it, and figure out what really is going on, we make up these silly little things because we try to have Jesus in his cute little cupid doll box and we want him to be this soft little sissy instead of looking and, and just accepting him as the man for who he really was. When Jesus spit in this man's face, he was showing contempt. He was insulting him. He was rebuking him. And because he was spitting into his blind eyes, it was a rebuke for his blindness. Now, keep in mind, Jesus comes to this town Bethsaida. They bring him the blind man and he immediately takes him out of the town and rebukes him. After he he spits on him and then prays for him again, he finally gets his eyes clear. And then he says, don't you go back to that town. Don't you go warn anybody in that town. There was something about the town of Bethsaida that frustrated and angered Jesus, especially in regard to this blind man. And this is where we need to stop and pay attention. In Matthew 11, verses 20 through 22, we read this. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you! Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Now, Jesus rebukes the cities or the towns where he did most of his mighty works because they did not repent. They liked the miracles, but they didn't want to repent and follow Jesus. So he rebuked them. What does this have to do with the blind man? The blind man was in that city, Bethsaida, one of the cities that Jesus ultimately came and rebuked. He would have been one of the people that received a great miracle that was from or around that town. Now this is interesting because just as the entire city of Bethsaida, that region was blind to the truth of who Jesus is, spiritually blind, It manifested in physical blindness in this man. In other words, this man was in agreement with the spirit over that town and it manifested through him. I want to say that again. The man, the blind man, was in agreement with the spirit of blindness over the town and it manifested in physical blindness in his own life. And what Jesus was redo, was doing with by spitting in this man's face was rebuking the blindness that this man was in agreement with. And then later he goes and rebukes the town of Bethsaida for basically the same thing, this spiritual blindness, because they loved the miracles, but they didn't fall in love with the miracle worker. They were blind to the truth of who Jesus was and what he expected of them. Now you may be wondering, well, what does this have to do with us today? What does that have to do with me? Why are you teaching us? Why are you bringing this up? Because it goes along with all the other things I've been talking about. In our last podcast, I talked about abortion and how the church needs to rise up and start speaking against abortion. But most churches won't preach against abortion, why? Because they're in places or they've been in agreement with those who would speak against them for touching abortion so deep down inside they may be going well, yeah, "Abortion's wrong but i'm not going to talk about it because i will offend there see we've got this strange idea of what love is what offense is how we're not supposed to offend people because that's unloving but then we've embraced the world's definition of love instead of the biblical god's definition of love because as we see Even in this story, Jesus wasn't afraid to offend this guy or the people around him. He spit in the guy's face. How offensive is that? And Jesus didn't care. There was another time when a mother came and says, Hey, Jesus, my daughter is demon possessed. Can you heal her? I'm not going to throw the children's bread to the little dogs. Now that's offensive. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what culture. That's offensive. And Jesus didn't care about offending people on that level. He cared about truth and he cared about the work and the word of god and the truth of god and the love of god being manifest and if that offended people so be it let them be offended you you come to the modern time now where all these people are out there they're in their sin and they want to remain in sin and they don't want anybody telling them their behavior or their lifestyle or their actions are wrong So the minute somebody says, hey, maybe you shouldn't go do that because that's wrong. Oh, you're not loving. You're not compassionate. You haven't accepted me for who I am. And the church buys into that and then stops warning people of sin. Stops telling people that homosexuality is sin. Stops telling people that the LGBTQ, all that alphabet people, that's sin. They stop telling people that abortion is sin. We've even stopped telling people that fornication, sleeping around before your marriage is sin. We stopped telling people that adultery is sin. We stopped telling people that cheating and lying is sin. We stopped telling people that drunkenness is sin. Why? Because much of the church has embraced the spirit of the region or the spirit of the day the same way this blind man embraced the spirit of blindness that was over the city of Bethsaida. The same things that was going on then is the same things that are going on now. Christians, and especially our pastors and leaders, are embracing the spirit of the culture or the age. Today And this manifests in so many other ways, including, and I, I kind of don't like to keep bringing it down to this, but it's just truth, including how we vote. I couldn't tell you how many Christians and even pastors vote for absolute wickedness because of the particular culture that they're in. They embrace the demon of their culture instead of the spirit of the living God and they'll take it right to the voting booth. They'll take it to the pulpit. This is just a little side note. This is one of the things that just kind of really, I remember this, it brought brought up a memory. I was at a church uh, a few years ago, and it was they were doing um, baptisms on a Sunday night, and I was asked as just someone that I just showed up and was hanging out because I knew the pastors and such. They asked me, would you like to go up there and help with the baptisms? I said, sure, that, that sounds like fun. And it's, the church was built with the baptismal in the, up on the platform, you know. So anyways, as I was walking across the platform, there was two other ministers. I was in between them and they were talking to each other. And I don't even remember what they were talking about. Um, my My focus was on the baptisms. But one minister says something to the other and he stopped, got a big kind of a, strange smile on his face and he says what the beep that was my own beep because i don't use that kind of language and i immediately stopped because well that kind of language to me is just wrong in any setting but especially especially on the platform of a church and especially as we're walking across said platform, going to do something holy, like baptize people into the, the body of Christ, into the family of Jesus. I uh, almost tripped and fell because th- I was waiting for somebody to say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize, blah, 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 blah. Or the other uh, pastor to say, hey, you shouldn't have said that, you need to go sit down, you need to repent, you need to whatever, nothing. Nothing. It was just like common language. This pastor, this minister embraced the spirit of the culture that is making foul language, cursing, swearing, foul language acceptable in our world. And instead of embracing the Holy Spirit, he embraced the spirit of the age, the spirit of the world. And this is happening all over and in some of the most disgusting and heinous ways. Recently I was, and I I shared this on another podcast, but recently I came across a little clip on a social media site about a drag performer performing at a church. And there's always one of those weird churches out there that just embraces everything. They have no sense of right or wrong, no sense of decency, no sense of holiness. And they just get goofy and weird. This happened to be one of them. But as I was preparing for this podcast, I decided to look that particular uh, church up and that event. And what I found is to my, well, I shouldn't even say surprise, to my dismay and disgust, I found that this is somewhat of a common practice in many churches throughout our country and then I started looking at where these churches were and it started to make some sense to me because it reminded me of this story of the blind man and Bethsaida, the blind city. So where are these happening? Well, all over the place, but it's happening primarily in such places as New York. New York is a very, very, very liberal city, very liberal, lots of liberalism and left leaning in New York. They, as a culture, they embrace this. So now the churches, instead of embracing Holy Spirit, are embracing the spirit, that left-leaning spirit of debauchery in New York. In some places of Florida, I'm not saying all places in Florida because there's some parts of Florida that are very conservative, very, uh, if you will, righteous, more right-leaning towards biblical principles. But there's still some left-leaning towns and such. And so this is happening in a very left-leaning town, a very left-leaning church. Why? Because again, that particular church decided to embrace the spirit over that area in that region, the spirit of the age, the spirit of wickedness, instead of the Holy Spirit of God. This is happening also in Greensville, South Carolina, of all places. And you would think South Carolina would be a place of lots of conservatism, the Bible Belt, Bible churches, but no. All it has to do is creep in, and then if if Christians aren't aware, they start to embrace wickedness, the spirit of the age, instead of the spirit of the living God. This happens a lot in the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, and such it happens a lot in the Southern California area. Again, these left-leaning, very liberal, embracing all kinds of perversion, especially sexual perversion. And if the churches aren't aware of it, and if the churches don't fight against it, and if the churches don't work to continually embrace Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, they will eventually embrace the spirit of the age, the spirit over those regions and the spirit of wickedness. And this is what's happening in many towns in the U.S. And again, most of these places are left-leaning cities. But what's sad to me is the church itself. It's not always just some like uh, non-denominational church that just broke off from everybody. They're going to do their own thing because they're, they, they're just all about rebellion and they're not going to listen to anybody because they have a chip on their shoulder. Now, I know there's some churches out there like that. But these are happening in some mainline denominations such as the Episcopal Church, the Methodist Church, Presbyterians, United Church of Christ, and we can go on. This is not just a fluke church that just pops up because somebody with a chip on their shoulder went and got their documents online and paid their $25 to have them sent some documents and they start this church, the church of I'm gonna do my own thing and not listen to anybody. But this is mainline denominational churches that were the backbone, were were the backbone of this country for many years as far as what we call spiritually speaking. And so they are leaning more and more and more to the left, more and more and more embracing demonic fallen angels, dark spirits, spirits of wickedness that have worked hard to get into positions of power over cities and regions. And these churches, instead of embracing Holy Spirit and righteousness, a spirit of righteousness, a spirit of holiness they start embracing the spirit of wickedness uh, of the culture of that particular city or region. And this is the same thing of this blind man being blind, embracing that spirit of blindness that was over the city of Bethsaida. How did Jesus deal with it? He spits in the man's eye, rebukes him openly in front of everybody, shows him his contempt for his blindness. And then after the man is seeing completely, don't you dare go back into that town and don't even you dare go warn the people of that town. Why? Cuz Jesus knew what he was going to do. He's going to go back into that town and rebuke it. And and it wasn't just a word like, "Hey guys, um, you know, you shouldn't have done this thing. I gave you a bunch of miracles. It wasn't cool that you didn't accept me as Messiah. That ain't cool." No, it was a rebuke. And when Jesus rebukes, let me tell you something. Something more than just words were released into that town in those other towns such as Chorazin. Because he compared them to Tyre and Sidon. He compared them to wicked, wicked, wicked cities because of their their rejection of Jesus as Messiah. Oh, they loved the miracles. They didn't really love the miracle worker. And I find this true with all these other churches that are embracing this left-leaning things. They could say whatever they want. They can call it love, they can call it acceptance, they can call it affirmation, they can say well grace and throw this word out grace which has been perverted, not grace itself but the meaning has been perverted. They could talk about the mercy of Jesus, they could talk about the love of Jesus but again what they're doing is they're embracing the world's definition to these words that are pointing to Jesus or speak about Jesus. This is not the love of God. The love of God doesn't allow people to be affirmed in their sin. The love of God brings them out of their sin. I wouldn't want to go into a church that was being pastored or led by somebody in adultery or someone that was fornicating or an addict, an alcoholic or drug addict. I wouldn't want to be part of a church where the pastor or the leader was a liar. So, I and God wouldn't allow it either. God doesn't set those ones up. God doesn't allow them. God speaks very clearly in His Word about all of these sins. So, what in God's name are we giving a free pass to the sin of homosexuality? Why are we giving a free pass to the sin of homosexuality? I was just reading on one site put out, it was a church site that talked about the difference between a gay friendly church and a gay affirming church. And in a nutshell, the gay friendly church basically says you're welcome to come in and sit, but we do expect you to get over the sin of homosexuality at some point. That's a gay friendly church. The gay affirming church is you're okay. Just the way you are. And you can stay that way forever. And, still be an active member and minister at the church? Well, i come back to this. Let's just be honest. Do you want an alcoholic to minister to yourself, your family, your children? Do you want a pedophile? Let's just go there. Do you want a pedophile teaching the Sunday school? Of course not. Alcoholic, drug addict. Well, of course not. Somebody who is in adultery. I mean, can you imagine if we took the sin of adultery and tried to make it acceptable among our leadership and even members of the church? If that is ridiculous and foolish, which it is, what in God's name were we doing uh, uh, when we make homosexuality acceptable sin? Or we, we erase that word, that 3 little word, sin, It's acceptable, let's affirm them. God made them this way. No, he didn't, no he didn't. He didn't make them that way. It's a hurt, it's a brokenness brought on by trauma. And we should affirm the person but never the sin. And we should be working to bring the people out of that brokenness and heal their broken hearts to set them free. I travel a lot to different places such as Africa and Mexico and different parts of the world. And in most of the places in Africa that I go to and minister in, they won't even accept somebody who has been divorced. There was a man who got married. He and his wife went into ministry. She knew that This man was called to ministry and was going to be in ministry, so they started a church. Just a couple, maybe two or three years into their marriage, she realized, this is not what I wanted, this is not what I signed up for, and she divorced him, to no fault of this man. Now, the denomination of the people he worked with says, I'm sorry, you're divorced, you can't pastor a church, you can be in a church. You can do some level of ministry, but you can't pastor a church because you're divorced. And because they look at divorce still as this this big sin, this thing that's almost um, so difficult to overcome that you can't be in head leadership like that if you've been divorced. Now, on a personal level, in a situation such as that, I think they're carrying it a little bit too far, but... At the same time, it's refreshing that there's still people in this world that take the Word of God seriously and take sin seriously. That if they're going to do that for somebody who is divorced, to no fault of his or her own, how much more are they going to do that with the homosexual, or the adulterer, or the pedophile, or the drunk, the alcoholic, the drug addict, It's refreshing to see and to find Christians in this world that still stand against sin and say, wait a minute, we understand we're all working, but there's levels of sin that are unacceptable in certain places and at certain times, and it's always unacceptable on the pulpit on Sunday. These are the types of things that we have to re-embrace in America. We need a revolution of righteousness, A lot of people are talking about revival coming and and on one hand, they're sort of right, but they have no idea what they're in for because revival is gonna come to America after a baptism of fire as God purges out the sin and purges out the leaven, so to speak, because this lump has not been leavened with righteousness. This lump has been leavened with the leaven of sin and wickedness. And God's gonna come and start spitting in the eyes of the blind who've embraced and been in agreement with the spirit of the culture or the spirit of the age instead of the spirit of the living God and his word. There's coming a revival, yes, but it's coming after a baptism of fire where God purges us. And there's not gonna be anyone that's going to be able to get away from what God is doing. It's going to hit The church first, it's going to hit the pulpits first, but it's going to hit every aspect of culture and society in in the United States of America because God is going to move and God's going to put the United States of America back on the map, so to speak, as the spiritual leader for the world. There's a vacuum right now. A vacuum and an emptiness in the world is spiritual leadership. And God wants the United States of America to rise up in purity and holiness and righteousness and fill that gap and fill that vacuum. He is not going to... I'm so sorry. I shouldn't laugh at this, but sometimes just the thought of it, I have to laugh or I'll cry, but he's not going to have some drag queen preacher dancing around and gyrating and trying to say the name of Jesus and try to do whatever they do in their weird churches and and, and put that in that vacuum. No, he's going to purge that out. So what, is, what do I say to everybody? Listen, if you lean that way, if you recognize and you start to recognize, you need to start praying. All of us need to start praying that the blinders will be taken off because whether you like it or not, you are bent to some degree and to some level towards the spirit of your region, the demonic spirit of your region. Whether you like it or not, that's just the way it works. But God will open up your eyes and reveal some things to you and show you where and how you need to repent. And when he does, and if you're honest, he'll show you quickly. And when he does, you need to repent. When he does, you need to come to repentance. That's your part. You need to openly confess and repent before the Lord. And then you need to start changing how you preach and how you teach in your church and how you live your life so that you no longer affirm the spirit the demonic spirit over the region, but you affirm holiness and the Holy Spirit. That's the way we're going to bring ourselves out of this judgment, so to speak, and into a move of God, a revival that touches not only our church, but our city, our states, and our nations. So those of you, who are born-again believers, and understand what I'm saying, especially you who live in the Pacific Northwest, it's time to get on your face and start repenting for your, uh, yourself and on behalf of the church in your region. New York, if there's any good people left in New York, any strong Christians left in New York that understand this, it's time to hit your knees and start repenting on behalf of the churches in New York. Southern California, Southern California or any left-leaning liberal city, town or region. If there's any good Christians left in your in those areas, please, I'm telling you it's time to repent first for your own sins, for your own leanings away from God and towards that wickedness, and then it's time to repent on behalf of the overall church in your region, in your town, in your city, in your state. It's time for a revival. But again, the fire is coming. And the only way that you're going to survive the fire is through a heart of repentance. The only way that you're going to survive, and when I say survive, I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about it's going to hit us so hard, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, that God is going to do a deep, 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 deep work. You want to come out of it like gold? Then start repenting now because that's how you're going to overcome. That's how you're going to move. Move through this start repenting now fall on your face cry out to God and allow him to do the inner work in you just like this man uh, uh, let him rebuke your blindness And when God is done with you, don't you dare go back to that place. Don't you dare go back to agreeing with that spirit. Don't you dare go back to that culture. Don't you dare go back to wanting what they have and agreeing with what they have or what they do or what they say. Embrace God's definition for these ideas and these words such as love and grace and mercy and righteousness and holiness and reject the world's definition of these words and ideas when we do that we will start seeing a move of god come not only to ourselves but our churches and to our regions and our nation because god's going to put the united states of america back on track we're going to be the world leader uh, in general but especially in the things of the spirit and we're going to be the world leader in all these other areas because we're the world leader in the things of the spirit biblical concepts ideas and truth we are going to start sending out preachers and teachers and missionaries all over the globe once again that's going to be our number one export will be the word of god watch and see what happens watch and see what happens but i'm inviting you i'm calling every one of us who hears my voice to that place of repentance thank you for joining us here at table flippers i would love to hear from you you can find my contact information at www.gwcclancaster.org that's gwcclancaster.org please let us know how we are doing I look forward to hearing your thoughts and comments have a fantastic day